Hi, and welcome to another episode of Healthy Distractions, a show with two Marvel fanboys who talk all things Marvel except when we don't. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. Matt, pick a number, any number. 20. Okay, you're about $1.6 billion off from how much money Infinity Wars made. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's pretty fucking insane. Well, it's about $1.5 billion more than I have, so I would say it's pretty impressive. You have $0.1 billion? So Box Office Mojo is certified. Well, I don't think they certified. But it's official that it's the highest grossing comic movie of all time. Surpassing, was it Black Panther before this? I think The Spirit by Frank Miller. Really? No. Oh. Why would you? No. What's... <laughs> Jesus. No, this isn't funny anymore now. <laughs> Did you ever see The Spirit? No, because it looked awful. I saw it with my dad and like halfway through it's just like just just want to go you sleeve yeah. it's 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 probably one of the worst movies i've ever seen at least in the theater besides yeah. x-men origins wolverine that one was pretty bad too but it's crazy that it made this much money in only three weeks of actually being in theaters yes it's uh doing well here i think it's the second fastest movie to 500 million dollars in north america at a huge china opening weekend when did it open in china i have no idea i think this this past week it opened up oh, okay but it was huge okay it was huge Blowing past that, they've <laughs> <laughs> so they've done very well for themselves. And then time is taken between when the first when the movie first premiered to when it hit one point six billion dollars. The Russos have been pretty some pretty busy bees, dropping little tidbits, little insights into them making the film. So I thought we could discuss that today. Just do a quick Infinity War wrap up. Yeah, that sounds good. So what have the Russo brothers been saying, Jeremy? Well, the first thing is regards to character deaths. Spoilers, uh, this is a retroactive spoilers warning for three episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> for character deaths about Black Panther, the screenwriters talked about how, I mean, when they wrote the movie, Black Panther was like just coming out. <laughs> so they had no idea. How popular. Well, he was, that it was going to be a billion dollar juggernaut franchise thing. And the fact that Chadwick Boseman would be such in such high demand. But they said the story dictated it, so he had to die. Does that mean that he's not coming back? Or do you think they might have... Maybe tweaked Avengers 4 a little bit. To include him? Yeah, this is more so me asking what your thoughts on Avengers 4 is going to be. Do you think Black Panther is going to actually come back? I have a hard time believing that they're going to just let that character go. I think his fate is linked to Spider-Man's, where we have, once again, this has been the meta commentary. Everyone's been talking about how, well, we know there's going to be a sequel. There's going to be a franchise with these characters, so they can't die, die. But I'm more curious as to how that ties into how they bring everyone back. And yeah. will it be, and will it be um, uh, satisfying or will it be a, a cheap shot or, or um, a cop-out? Speaking of Spider-Man, you mentioned his death. Are you aware of what was going on behind the scenes during that filming? Oh, I just assumed it was just good writing. Writing was a big part of it. From what has been going around the internet, it sounds like that scene was actually improvised by Tom Holland, which... Oh, shit. Puts that performance and that scene, in my opinion, on a whole another level. That actually is makes it even more heartbreaking. <laughs> and also, it's like, what a fucking great get for Marvel to have Tom Holland. Yeah. And the fact that they have to keep him for the next Spider-Man movie. <laughs> well, as long as he looks like he's still 18 years old, I think he'll be okay. I think he's going to look young for a while. I mean, but that's really interesting because I can only imagine the day that they filmed it because I've heard him talk about it in other interviews about how he has a, his, his relationship uh, to Robert Downey Jr. is mirrored in the movies and vice versa. Like Robert Downey Jr. is his mentor. 
So I can only imagine how emotional that scene must have played out for both of them. As a father to Tony or to, to Tom Holland, he's powerless to watch this kid die. And Tom Holland milks it for all it's worth. So fucking good on him because it definitely paid off. And it launched a thousand memes. So Exactly. <laughs> so Marvel, he's a liability because he can't keep his fucking mouth shut. But you have, to, you have to counteract that to everything else he does. Exactly. One of the other things that have been circling the internet is kind of a, a fuck Star-Lord mentality. I'm not sure how you feel about that whole scene, but he did kind of fuck the Avengers over on that scene in Titan. It goes in with a larger theme of failure on their part, where he made a mistake, uh, Thor made a mistake, and there's there's mistakes all around, but his one stands out uh, more egregious than others. I think the screenwriters, they were talking about how somebody was asking, like, you know, will there be redemption for him in this in Avengers 4? And their response was very bluntly, well, no, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, well, good, good, uh, good, good, uh, good Joe. Good chat. Good yeah, chat. Good, 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 good chat. For all the memes talking shit about him, there was one meme that actually was the counterpoint, which was the trauma of this character. And to me, the MCU is similar to Star Wars or other franchises I really stole a whole deer and follow deeply is because of the characters if they do the characters right and it's, i think i know what meme you're talking about too it's basically the one that goes through his entire tragic backstory up leading up to this point right right his entire loss or like if you saw your mother die from cancer in front of you as a you, kid as a kid if you found the revelation out that your father had intentionally poisoned your mother and then you had to kill him and then actually then the same day lose your real father in Yondu. It's like, what would that do to you? Which kind of, not justifies, but explains his reaction to finding that Gamora is dead. It's almost a natural reaction that any of us would have in the real world. If you lost your mother, your father, both your fathers, I guess, one of them you had to kill, and you just lost the love of your life, I'm pretty sure you would also go after the guy who killed the love of your life knowing that all of this has happened up until this point. Well, it's just you want to inflict as much pain as possible. Exactly. It's you have them in front of you. And and you he's can... in a weakened state in that scene. And it's almost like he's a punching bag. No, exactly. Basically, it's it's that uh, culmination of emotions finally burst out of Peter and he can't control it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, though, because I said Gamora is dead and you didn't question it. So are you sure she's dead? Are you feeling I... lucky, buddy? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm a little bit torn on this one. I have this theory, and I don't think I'm the only one who has this theory, but I have two assumptions when it comes to the Soul Stone. My first assumption is everyone who was disintegrated or dissolved when Thanos snapped his fingers, they're all trapped inside the Soul Stone. So if the Avengers do get their hands on it, they can almost reverse it that way. I don't think that's going to happen exactly like that, but I do think that Gamora is actually, regardless of the first part, Gamora is the one who is actually trapped in the Soul Stone. Which would explain that final scene with her and Thanos. Exactly. Why he's, she's the one greeting him after he snaps his fingers, or daughter Gamora, like little Gamora. Well, Matt, as much as I hate you, I do hate to tell you you're wrong. To your point, I mean, I think the, the literal Herbie and the Soul Stone... The Rooster Brothers, they implied that in some of their comments. They're saying, like, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. So she's, like, I think they were sort of tired that day. And Rooster Brothers, I'm sorry, you don't get tired. You're brilliant. But they were tired that day. 
And they implied, like, they just agreed with that theory that she's literally in the Soul Stone. Then they walked it back saying, no, she's she's dead. It's, it's whatever. She's gone. But they do confirm what you were saying, the fact that it's more about the spiritual analogy or the representation of him confronting little Gamora, the one that he loves, and coming to, coming to terms with that he lost everything in service of saving the galaxy and his warped vision of what saving the galaxy means. So on that note, with the Russo brothers then basically confirming that what I just said is not true and that the souls are not stuck in the soul stone, does that make you pretty depressed? It's one of those things where I was trying to find wiggle room, like, oh, you know, there's, well, the soul stone, and da-da-da-da-da, but no, it's like, no, they're, they're, they're just dead. Like, we don't have fucking time with your emotions, Jeremy, just, they're dead, get over it. So yeah, I, I, I was pretty bummed out by that. So are you even more bummed out by the fact that Groot's last words were dad when he was talking to Rocket as he was getting dissolved. I see what you're doing. You're doing that thing in the first Star Trek or the first reboot of Star Trek where they're trying to get an emotional reaction from Kirk or from Spock. I'm not going to play into your hand, but let's let's just keep moving on because that's not true. There's no way that's true. It's true. James Gunn literally said that on Twitter. But why would Twitter lie to me? <laughs> that I actually, I think you're in denial. I am in denial because uh, I recently rewatched the first Guardians, and the scene that still affects me is when Groot, when the first Groot dies, and then Rocket's holding his remains and crying with Drax petting him. And then I watched the Guardians two. I'm like, oh, I, well, Baby Groot didn't. I wasn't super into Baby Groot. I still appreciate the new dynamic between Rocket as the father to Baby Groot. Just one more, <laughs> one more rock to put in my to put in my pockets to sneak me to the bottom of the pond thinking about Infinity War. Thank you for that, James Gunn. <laughs> but no, but that actually, I mean, another reason I, I love this franchise and I appreciate the filmmakers behind it is they put real consideration into what's the biggest emotional impact we can get out of these moments. And like I said before, the characters matter most. And so that is completely consistent with the character and with getting the most out of Rocket and Groot. You know, in a movie with many tragedies, that one definitely stands out as a result. As depressing as the movie does end, and I'm glad it does. Not sadness for the sake of sadness, but it's consistent with the rest of the story and it is the integrity of the story. It had to end that way. But the first reaction I had after the right after right after it ended is similar to you and everyone else is, what comes next? I have some good news for you. Guess when we're going to get the new Avengers 4 trailer. Ant-Man and Wasp? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Later, I'm guessing. By good news, I mean opaque, confusing non-committal news oh boy well the rooster brothers were talking about because that's the big and the biggest question they keep getting asked is when will we get the first trailer or any inkling of avengers 4 and they said to be honest they're still editing avengers 4 that they have a three-step process and this is this it seemed obvious in hindsight but they talked about how you know filming the movie or pre-production the actual writing process and getting all the pieces on the stage filming it uh and then post-production with editing and they're firmly in the editing process, but they just got started. The way they described it was, they don't know what the movie is yet. They they, they know, know the story, yeah, but they yes. don't know how it's coming together on screen. Right. The, the biggest thing for them, something I wanted to touch on was, they said, if you've seen the other movies we've done, then you can sort of guess where we're going to go with this one in terms of emotion. And I think the biggest thing for them is the emotional through, through line. And so I think that's what they're trying to figure out right now. In terms of how to construct it to have like, the most effect on the audience and to culminate the 10 years of storytelling. One thing about this next 
Avengers trailer that I'm really interested in. We've talked about this before. Marvel has always done a good job with their trailers. They typically don't give everything away. And sometimes their trailers are even misleading. Or it's a misdirect. So what we talked about with Iron Man 3 and the Mandarin. I feel like anything that they put in this trailer is almost going to give away some of the movie. Unless it's the interaction right after Thanos snaps his fingers and warps away. Like, what What can they actually put in the trailer that's not just going to give it away? I'm guessing it's going to be literally Robert Downey Jr. wearing a shirt. Him just going to say, hey, then dun, 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 or whatever. Or it's like have Captain America just like look up at the camera and then dun, and that's all it'll be. <laughs> One trailer per main Avenger, basically. <laughs> honestly we are we are ravenous disgusting beasts who will pour apart the trailer and tear it apart and try to find any clues so we do not deserve a real trailer so rooster brothers please this is our this is this is our our, our demands so please don't don't do it to us <laughs> so for avengers 4 it's gonna be from now until the release will be pure speculation but are there any characters you're curious about but what they happen to them? Because the Rooster Brothers have been dropping hints, dropping little breadcrumbs about your favorite characters. Hey man, what happened to Korg and Meek? I'm not gonna lie, that was my first concern watching that opening scene. And I will tell you the answer, or I would, because if I did tell you, it would be a spoiler. So that's what the Rooster Brothers were saying was, the fate of some of the characters from Avengers 3 after the finger snap is a spoiler. So Korg and Meek... They're not confirming or denying what happened to them. They mentioned the fact that... They did confirm the fact that... Um, Half of the Asgardian ship. That, and also that there was escape pods involved. They mentioned that... I don't know if that actually will be a plot point for future installments, but there was escape pods and people got away and don't worry. So Valkyrie, Korg, and Meek will be addressed. They couldn't say whether or not they'd be addressed in Avengers 4 because that'd be a massive spoiler. The other two that they mentioned by by name was Shuri and Ned. They can't say whether or not they're still alive because that would be a big spoiler. Really? Yes. That was today. They, I think I was reading up rocks. They mentioned that. That makes me really curious as to, one, why would it be such a spoiler if they revealed unless these characters are going to have a big role in the next movie? Is Ned going to take the mantle of Spider-Man and Shuri the mantle of Black Panther? I was going to say two words, Spider-Ned, but that could be a possibility. Spider-Ned, I like it. I mean, I I actually always thought that at some point they were going to have Shuri be Black Panther. So to me, that would make sense. Ned, Cork, and Meek, I'm more curious about as to why it would be such a big spoiler. Well, can I go off on a quick side note for Shuri? Yeah. I I do not want her to be Black Panther because I'm a James Bond uh, purist in the sense that I think she'd be better as the Q character. If anything, either Winston Duke's character or Okoye could be Black Panther. So I, I still want her in that role because I thought she was so much fun as the Q gadgets person for that. But I am curious as well as to why they haven't revealed what happened to her or to these other characters. That being said... There is one character that whose name does come up that I was very curious about. They will need, that they will neither confirm nor deny, and that character is Jane Foster. Jane Foster. So, did you read about this at all? I didn't. So apparently, Natalie Portman was done with everything naturally. Um, and, and to her to her point to her credit, she's the biggest name of the Thor franchise, and they gave her nothing to do. So I don't blame her for saying, like, "Okay, I'm not interested in this anymore." Yeah. 
But I guess back in January of last year, she renewed her interest. And so I guess there might be a cameo role for her or some kind of role for her in Avengers 4 to wrap up Thor's storyline. Really? So, but once again, they, they're not confirming or denying. But for whatever reason, her name came up. Wow. I guess, you know, if you're going all out and you're like, let's just throw, let's just throw it all at the board and just leave nothing on the table. Fuck it. Let's do some James Foster stuff. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to give Thor closure on that end. And to give the audience closure on that end. Because you're right. I mean, as much as I think both of us really disliked Matt, Natalie Portman in the in the Thor movies, I don't know if she was really given a fair opportunity to have like a memorable role or an outstanding moment in any of these movies. No, that's, that's exactly it. And I think when we revisit Thor, we can go d- do a deeper dive. I think it's more just, you know, she, you know, she's one of the, most prolific and brilliant actors in the world. It's like, hey, if we can fit her in this movie somehow to actually have some kind of weight and depth to a scene or even put anything into context, then why not? So that's kind of fucking, yeah. I mean, I I would be, if they were doing Thor 3 again and and she's like, oh, it's gonna be the same thing as Thor 2 or she, they're in love and blah, 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 blah. Then I'd be rolling my eyes and saying, oh, that's not really good use of her time. So I'm, I'm curious to see if they use her at all and I hope they do. Yeah. One thing that I wanted both of us to take a take a stab at is what is one thing that you're predicting with air quotes is going to happen in avengers infinity in avengers part four or one thing that that may come into play that you saw in avengers three and i'll and i'll give you an example so you you know since we haven't talked about this one of the things that it looked like was happening in avengers infinity war when they were trying to remove the stone from vision was it looked like Shuri copy and pasted the the intricacies of the Mind Stone and saved it in her database. So does that come into play later? And that's one of the things that I'm like, well, Vision's body was still there. If she really did make a copy of the Mind Stone, are they going to put the Mind Stone or a copy of it back into Vision and he's going to come back to life? Or would they realize that they can make copies of the stones and then try to do that to make their own affinity gauntlet. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I, is there anything like that that you think might come into play for Avengers 4? The biggest thing I can see happening is um, that I spent 1675 on a ticket for Avengers Part 3. I can definitely see them raising the price to $18, knowing that I'll pay that fully for a admission <laughs> to see Avengers 4. That, I think, yeah, that, that I, I, would, I would bet uh, I'd bet $18 on that. So that is for sure. In terms of wild speculation, there's been, I mean, there was a plot synopsis that leaked, which I don't want to, while we're spoilers of verse here, I don't want to get into that now. But, no, I, I mean, sincere, like, nothing really stood out that gives me an inclination for Avengers 4. Okay, well... That's not very helpful, but I will live. <laughs> it's gonna impression my father. Anyways, I'm sure we'll, we will revisit Infinity War as we recap all the Marvel movies. I mean, I, I know I'm gonna see it one more time at least. Yeah, I figure in a month we'll come back and talk about it again after it's had some time to settle. Slash, are you busy tomorrow? I'm working, but you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that as a yes. Before we go, my one healthy distraction I want to bring up was if you go to YouTube and you go to search, search Vanity Fair, Ryan Coogler, Vanity Fair Russo, Vanity Fair Taika Waititi, 
And they basically did it behind the scenes with the directors of the last three Marvel movies. And it's really interesting. That's all I was going to tell you. They behind the scenes with the directors during the filming of their movie or during the filming and making of Infinity War? Sorry, for, uh, of their individual movies. Okay. So for like Ryan Cooler, they do the there's the the casino sequence, and he literally walks through the entire sequence and adds new insights to it that I wasn't aware of. Uh, for example, he mentions the fact that um, Okoya and uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character and Black Panther they're wearing their colors represent the, the Pan African flag. That's like one of the many things he's trying to portray in that scene, amongst other things. And then for like Infinity War, it's the scene with. Uh, the Guardians are, are, have Thor on the table, and they talk. And literally, the Rooster Brothers talk about the lighting in the scene, and it's fascinating, like how they lit the scene. Like it's, it's, a, it's literally a science. <laughs> as much as I love filmmaking, I had no idea how much effort goes into like the smallest details. And then for Taika Waititi, it was him talking about the get help scene in Ragnarok. It was really just him just being Taika Waititi, which should be <laughs> enough for you to watch it unto itself. But I really recommend them. With Vanity Fair, behind the scenes, uh, Marvel directors, you can't go wrong. Great, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check those out because you didn't share those with me, so now I feel like an idiot. But anyways, as always, you guys can reach us at Healthy Distractions Podcast at gmail.com, Facebook.com slash Healthy Distractions. Instagram at Healthy Distractions and Twitter at Health underscore Distract. We also just uploaded all of our recordings to YouTube. So when you get a chance, please listen, give us a review, and it'll help us to help you. Help us to help you. Please. It'll help other people it's find us. My plea us. to you. <laughs> they don't care about what make we us want. better for you. It's a symbiotic relationship. We're still not going to talk about Venom. No matter how hard you guys plead, we're not talking about Venom. Uh, we might talk about Venom. But still, help us help you. As always, I've been Jeremy. I've been Matt. Later.